Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about whether you should wad or fold toilet paper, according to science. Speaking of toilet paper, you'll then learn why your brain evolved to hoard supplies, but shame others for doing the same. We'll wrap up by answering a listener question about the grand unified field theory with help from astrophysicist Dr. Adam Becker. Let's satisfy some grand unified curiosity. As long as toilet paper shelves remain close to empty, TP is as good as gold and should be used sparingly. So it's time to settle the great wiping debate. If you want to be the most efficient with your toilet paper, is it better to wad or to fold? Luckily, Mel Magazine staff writer Quinn Myers already set out to answer this question, with some help from a nuclear physicist named Sam Navario. Navario boiled down the issue to minimizing toilet paper usage while maximizing wiping efficiency. He worked out a pretty simple equation to represent this dilemma. Total toilet paper used equals toilet paper per wipe times the number of wipes. Let's break that down a bit more. Paper per wipe is determined by the TP area times the number of folds. The number of wipes depends on the amount of, uh, waste per wipe, as well as how much waste you're dealing with. So the equation really comes down to waste per wipe. Navario considered the toilet paper area, the wrinkles on the toilet paper surface, and how likely it is to stay intact while calculating wiping efficiency. Obviously, these factors vary by brand. The ridges on that more expensive TP, they aren't just there for decoration. They're designed to make wiping more efficient by using texture, just like wadding the paper would. When it comes down to it, the wiping efficiency of wadded toilet paper can't be beat. Wrinkling the paper creates way more surface area than folding does, so there are way more surfaces that can pick up what you're putting down. However, wadding significantly decreases the amount of coverage you get per wipe. Some people might prefer the extra coverage that they get from a folded square or even wrapping the paper around their hand. Navario came up with an ingenious solution that combines both strategies. He recommends a hybrid wiping style where you fold your TP in half and crumple the top layer. This way you get the coverage of a fold and the wiping efficiency of a wad. This strategy uses a bit more paper than a traditional wad, but hey, that's the price you pay for clean. Whether you fold or wad your toilet paper, one thing's for sure, a lot of places are sold out of it these days. You've heard plenty of stories about people hoarding food and toiletries, like toilet paper, during quarantine and shelter-in-place orders. But here's something else you may have noticed. It feels like a lot of people aren't shy about judging the people who are doing the hoarding. And that's even though sometimes that judgment comes from people who are doing the exact same thing. Well, according to one researcher, that makes some sense. Because our brains are hardwired to hoard supplies, but shame others for doing the same thing. This comes from an article from The Conversation by Dr. Stephanie Preston, professor of psychology at the University of Michigan. She points out that hoarding is actually a normal, adaptive behavior that kicks in anytime there's an uneven supply of resources. After all, squirrels and birds and many other animals hoard food to last them over the winter. And the signal that tells these creatures' brains to switch into hoarding mode is stress. Kangaroo rats will begin hoarding if their weight drops or if a neighboring animal steals from them. And this applies to humans, too. When researchers make study participants feel anxious, those people end up wanting to take more stuff home with them afterward. So when we hear that we'll be stuck at home for a few weeks or months, or when we see empty shelves at the grocery store, 
our brains are programmed to start stockpiling. Not only does it relieve some anxiety, it'll actually protect you in an emergency. These behaviors are motivated less by logic and more by a deeply felt drive to feel safer. But at the same time that people are amassing their own stockpiles, they get upset about other people taking too much. That's also a legitimate concern. It's a version of the tragedy of the commons, where people's tendency to take a little extra for themselves depletes an otherwise sustainable public resource so it can't help anyone. It takes cooperation to ensure everyone gets their fair share, and by shaming others, people are trying to ensure that cooperation. One thing to remember is that the media covers stockpiling stories selectively and tends to focus on the most shocking cases. People are mostly rational and responsible and will respect that, for example, healthcare workers may need masks more than they do. Most people are trying to protect themselves and their families while also considering the needs of others. That's how the human species evolved, to get through challenges like this together. We got a listener question from Jillian, who writes, I recently saw an episode of Sheldon, and he talked about the grand unified field theory. Just curious, what's that all about? And is solving it the greatest breakthrough in the history of science? That is a deep question, Jillian. So to get a deep answer, I called on an expert. Dr. Adam Becker is an astrophysicist and author of the book, What is Real? The Unfinished Quest for the Meaning of Quantum Physics. He'll break it down for you. So let's start with what a grand unified theory is. People will call this by a few different names. You know, they'll call it like a theory of everything or something like that. But basically in physics, we currently have two fundamental theories about how the world works. We have quantum physics, which describes the very tiny things that make up the world, but also applies to large things. But it's strange features really show up best when you're looking at tiny things. And then we have general relativity, which is Einstein's theory of gravitation and space-time. And that theory is, you know, about gravitation and space-time. Uh, so it's about gravity. And it really becomes important when you're dealing with very heavy things. Now, very heavy things tend to be big. And so they don't really display quantum effects. And tiny things tend to be light. So gravity is not that important for them. So the upshot is that it's very difficult to get any sort of experimental evidence of quantum gravitational phenomena. And when we just try to make the math of the two theories sort of fit together, we don't get answers that work well. They, they, they don't make sense in the right way. You know, it, it doesn't quite work the way that we want it to. So finding a way to unify those two theories has been, you know, a major goal of theoretical physics for arguably for the last 90 years, definitely for at least the last 50 years. Right now in physics, we believe, where we have very good evidence, <laughs> that there are four fundamental forces at work in the world. And, and every force that you experience in everyday life is some manifestation or mixture of these four forces. And the four forces are gravity, electromagnetism, and the weak and strong nuclear forces. Now, the weak and strong nuclear forces, like the names imply, don't really um, have a range beyond something the size of an atomic nucleus. So that's like really, really small. But electromagnetism and gravity have infinite range. Like if I have an object here, I can feel it's gravitational pull anywhere. And if I have like a, an electrically charged object here, I can feel its pull anywhere. 
Now, we have really good quantum theories for three of those four forces, for the weak and strong nuclear forces and for electromagnetism, but gravity is sort of the odd one out. And so when we talk about unifying quantum physics in general relativity, we're talking about coming up with a unified theory that that accounts for all four of those things. Now, is it the biggest open problem in science? <sighs> yeah, uh... That really depends on who you ask and what your perspective is. Like, is it a really important problem? I would say I think so. I think most physicists agree that it's important. There are definitely some physicists who think, well, you know, honestly, the theories we have work really well. And do we need a theory of everything? But I think that those people are in a minority. Again, that was Dr. Adam Becker, astrophysicist and author of the book, What is Real? The Unfinished Quest for the Meaning of Quantum Physics. You can find a link to Adam's book in the show notes. Thanks again for your question, Jillian. And if you have a question, then leave us a voicemail at 312-596-5208. Or, of course, you can email us at podcast at curiosity.com. Before we recap what we learned today, here's a sneak peek at what you'll hear next week on Curiosity Daily. Next week, you'll learn about why people tune out facts and trust their guts in medical emergencies, what makes fruit mealy, where researchers think the first interstellar object came from, how social rejection can fuel creativity, and more. Okay, so now let's recap what we learned today. Well, we learned that wadding beats folding, although for maximum efficiency, you technically fold once and then crumple the top layer. But most importantly, this finally settles the greatest debate in the history of the Alpha Beta chapter of the Phimu Alpha Symphonia Music Fraternity which I was a member of, and this was a hot topic the entire time I was active in that fraternity. So there you go, guys. Shout out to all of those who knew that I was right the whole time. I keep forgetting that we were both in, like, sister music fraternities. I was Sigma Alpha Iota, and I definitely dated some Phi Mu Alpha guys. That's so weird. My college girlfriend was Sigma Alpha Iota the whole time. <laughs> I mean, we also both played saxophone. That's not weird. <laughs> I know. it's The parallels are really bizarre. I mean, we both have good taste in music. Yeah, I guess. Well, anyway, we also learned that our brains evolved to hoard and judge others for hoarding. Because why would it make sense any other way? But really, hoarding is a way to protect yourself. And when other people hoard, you can't get as much. So both of them kind of make some sense. But really, we all just need to cut each other some slack. And just try to find balance in all things. Look, if you've listened to this podcast for any period of time, you should know by now that humans are not rational creatures. <laughs> it's true. And we also learned that grand unified field theory is trying to make relativity and quantum physics make sense with each other. Yeah, it's basically like quantum physics deals with very small things that aren't really affected by gravity. And relativity deals with very heavy things that aren't really affected by quantum processes. And whenever we try to combine the two, the math doesn't really work out. And if you're curious about quantum physics, we kind of went on like a quantum physics kick last year. Remember, we had Sean Carroll on. We talked to George Greenstein. Like we had all these guests and, and we kind of deep dove into some random stuff. You can actually search for quantum physics if you go to curiositydaily.com. There's a search tool and it lets you search through all our 600 plus past episodes. So, uh... You know, maybe we'll return more to quantum physics someday, but I don't know what it was. Like, there, there definitely was a period where it was just kind of like, I don't know, we were really into it. I mean, I love quantum physics, and I would love to dive right back into it. Stay tuned. 
Today's stories were written by Andrea Michelson and by Stephanie Preston for The Conversation and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Script writing was by Cody Goff and Sonia Hodgen. Curiosity Daily is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Have a great weekend and join us again Monday to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.